0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to Arthouse Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make Arthouse, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today on the show, we're talking Sundance. I had the opportunity to attend Sundance this year. It was my first time, so on this episode, I'm going to talk through the festival and all the films I saw, along with Andrew Camarillo, who was there with me. We'll give you all the highlights and which films you should keep an eye out for later this year. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for
1: $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer.
0: ba 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 Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all
1: LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up
0: to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome to Art House Garage. Sundance 2024 has come and gone, and it was quite a festival. The festival ran from January the 18th through the 28th. I was there from the 19th through the 22nd and I had a great time. I was there with a few friends, including Andrew Camarillo, a filmmaker and friend of mine who is joining us for the podcast today. Andrew, welcome back to the show. How are you?
1: Uh, thanks, Andrew. Uh, doing well. Yeah, Sundance 2024 was awesome.
0: Yes, have you fully recovered from... We, we didn't get the most sleep that weekend, I think. we were just <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Going the whole time. I was pretty tired for a couple of days. Uh, I was looking to see when you were on the show last. It's been a while, but we talked about Minari back in the day, and we did the art house starter pack uh series so and then um, synecdoche new york which for a long time synecdoche new york was my top episode i think it has been overtaken eventually but uh but i'm glad to have you back it's been too long um well we're going to talk all about the festival before we do i know you have a short film that you've been working on and doing some things with did you want to say a few words about that
1: yeah thanks um so the film Wind, a uh, short film that my friends uh, Jason Lee, Matthew Lee, and Kevin Blagg worked on with me um, over the last few years is finally finished. We've um been submitting it to festivals and hopefully, yeah, we'll uh, be attending uh, a festival or two uh, later this year. Um, We're very excited about that. And... Yeah, I guess we can continue to update you as yeah. maybe we get more news. Thanks.
0: I have seen it. It's beautiful. I really like it. It's uh, it's oh, what, would you call it an experimental short film? Or yeah, what, experimental
1: yeah. short film. I would say um, it's shot on sixteen millimeter black and white um, film, and yeah, we had a lot of fun uh, just going through the process. So yeah, I'm I'm glad it's finally finished. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I imagine to be a long, a long process, but I'm excited to see where it goes and, and all of that. But Thank well, congrats you. on that. Um, all right, so let's talk about Sundance. I, I thought first we might just talk about the festival as a whole. What was your general impression? Was it what you expected? Uh, yeah, what do you think?
1: Um, I thought it was amazing. Um, I had an incredible time there. Um, it was great to go with you and to cover the festival was a really wonderful experience. Um, yeah, Park City is really, I feel like quite walkable, at least, I mean, even yep. in winter, we were getting around pretty easily. And um, yeah, the energy there was great. I felt like I was meeting people every day, mm-hmm. um, meeting filmmakers, people in the press, uh, people in the industry. And yeah, it was it was definitely even better than I expected. I really enjoyed yeah. it.
0: Yeah, same here. I I didn't really know what to expect. It's the biggest festival I've been to so far same here um i know, i was a little nervous there would be just huge crowds everywhere we were going but that wasn't i mean it was it was pretty crowded some places but um nothing just just crazy the the biggest crowd i saw was actually at the eccles theater i just went to buy some merch but there was a film starting it was the will ferrell documentary um will and harper and like the the line was enormous but apparently that i didn't get in that theater but apparently it seats like 1200 people so like that's i think the biggest venue they have but um Yeah, I really, really liked it. And you know, it's uh, like with anything, that's a major cultural thing. There's, you know, sometimes there's politicization on either side. And I remember hearing a few years ago, someone just like decrying, um, you know, Sundance is so commercial now It used to be so indie and, and I I see what they mean by that. It's I was kind of sensitive to that as we were there. Uh, There's big stars and stuff there. But there's still a lot of really unknown filmmakers especially in documentaries, which is where I spent a lot of time. Um, So I think, yeah, I really appreciate it. I think it it was really valuable for for me at least. And it seemed like it was for the filmmakers there too. Um, Yeah. So I was just really had a a great experience. I guess we should explain really briefly um, what we were both doing there. So I applied for a press pass uh, and Um, one thing I was going to mention in a minute is there was, (laughs) I had some confusion. It was a big learning experience for me. So I I learned when I got there that there is like an accredited press pass. That's like the New York times, the New Yorker, like big, bigger venues and bigger outlets. And then for freelancers and independent people and in some college newspapers, I I talked to people that were there. There's like a working press pass, which is a little bit like you don't have access to everything, which was a bit of a disappointment when I realized that, but ultimately I, I ended up seeing. Films I might not have otherwise that I was really pleasantly surprised by. Um, So like, I didn't get to see Love Lies Bleeding, which was like the big one that everyone was talking about. But that's fine. I'm going to watch that anyway. Whereas I might not have watched Porcelain War, which uh, was my favorite thing I saw. So anyway, we'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, But then as part of that, you know, press people sometimes have a cameraman or someone else they bring with them. And uh, so we applied and got you in as my cameraman and you helped me film some interviews. Uh, and so it, it worked out great. And I was so glad that we could be there together. And the other friends we were there with uh, had a, just a great personal time as well as, you know, working the festival. But yeah, yeah well, that was great. <laughs> I, I thought it was
1: interesting, too, that uh, Slam Dance was happening at the same time, which is yeah. a, mm-hmm. a smaller uh, film festival. But um, it was interesting. I think uh, some of uh, our friends went to some of those uh, mm-hmm. screenings and yeah, it just, it was a really, I could see kind of the, the corporate feel for sure, but there were a lot of, uh, I feel like still independent um, yeah. experiences happening. So
0: Absolutely. Anytime slam dance is mentioned, I feel the need to bring up um, my good friend, Ling Tran, good friend. We've had her on the podcast and talked many times, but we haven't like hung out. She uh, has a film called waiting for the light to change that one slam dance last year. And it's fantastic. So a little plug for her and uh, just slam dance is a cool festival as well. I was, I didn't make it over to any of those, but I wanted to, but um, all right. Well, I thought now we might kind of just talk through the festival day by day. Like you can talk about what you did Friday and then I can go my Friday. Um, so I, I, we were both there Friday through Monday, basically um, and some, the uh, Sundance is basically like a week and a half. And there's sort of two weekends. So we were there kind of the first weekend, which seems like that's the more crowded, like stuff is happening. More stuff is happening. I think that first weekend. Um, so yes. Uh, do you want to go first? What did you do on Friday?
1: Um, on Friday, I think I was more getting the lay of the land. Cause I got in a little bit later.
0: Oh yeah. I got in stars. You may not have seen anything Friday. Sorry.
1: Right. No, that's fine. No, I was, um, <laughs> I sort of was, yeah. I, I picked up uh, the press pass, and then I walked around and got a sense of just how the city was, mm. feel like, yeah, yeah. I guess the the overall uh, atmosphere and kind of how things worked. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't actually attend a, a screening uh, on Friday, but yeah, uh, I know you saw something, right?
0: Yes, I did. Yeah, and I, if I had remembered that, I would have just gone. But um, I, I had hoped to see. Um, uh, I saw the TV glow which it was one of my most anticipated. I didn't get to see that one, but I know I'll watch that anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did get into, um, it's actually a, uh, in the episodic, so it's a series. Uh, it's called Better Angels, The Gospel According to Tammy Faye uh, from writer-director Dana Adam Shapiro. Uh, Tammy Faye's stories always fascinated me. Uh, Tammy Faye Baker, who, if you don't know, is a t- televangelist uh, who was married to Jay Baker. They kind of invented televangelism. And um, there was, of course, the, the film two years ago now with Jessica Chastain as playing Tammy Faye, uh, which was called the eyes of Tammy Faye. And uh, she was just such an interesting, fascinating figure. And, and you know, that film with Jessica Chastain, I really liked, I liked it more than some critics, I think. Um, But then I, there's so much that story is like, I wish I knew, you know more about some of the details of these things and this series gives you that because uh, it really takes time to dig in so there were two episodes that played i think there are more made or, or planned to make um i think it's still seeking distribution but they interview their son jay baker quite a bit i think he maybe is one of the producers even he's he's really involved in it um but yeah she's just such an interesting person who is in this w- this world that often was full of hypocrisy but she seemed to be a really genuine person and was also uh stood up for you know queer people which was really unheard of in that context so the the film focuses on that a lot and she's kind of a queer icon because of that and um yeah really really fascinating and i hope uh it continues and and i get to see more of it cuz uh, it was it was a highlight for sure of the festival and something i really really appreciated
1: yeah i would love to see that i wasn't able to see that one but it sounds yeah. fantastic
0: i imagine it'll be you know on on some streaming service hopefully um before too long and uh, it's definitely one i want to continue on but that was my friday um and then i i didn't even go to any after parties or anything i went to bed because i was so tired because <laughs> i got i a had a question andrew life. uh yeah, what's that? did uh, the uh
1: was there an event the was the event for um black storytelling in like backlash was that, that was on friday. the was that friday yes yeah. so I thought that was really incredible. Um,
0: yeah, I just kind of came in for the tail end of that.
1: Yeah, the event, uh, the story of us surviving the war on woke Black storytelling in the Age of Backlash um, mm-hmm. was really incredible. It was uh, moderated by Kimberly Crenshaw, and um, yeah, it the panel was fantastic. Um, it, it spoke to the difficulties um, of Black storytelling during this time where there's a lot of political and sort of um, cultural pushback among certain mm-hmm. demographics uh, against that storytelling and the ways in which the personal experiences of people who are navigating um, the, the industry and in filmmaking mm-hmm. uh, and how they're just dealing with that, that kind of pushback. Um, but it was really interesting to hear their stories and hear their perspectives and hear the ways they're organizing and engaging to to continue to tell their stories and to have a platform yeah. to tell them. So I thought that was a really um, wonderful panel.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I ducked in just right for the end of that when it was kind of wrapping up. Um, but yeah, it seemed great. And, and one thing I did hear from the stage was, I've heard this sentiment before, but I think in this context, it was really uh, powerful that, that culture trickles down to politics not the other way around um and so uh, just the importance of storytelling the importance of art and cinema and um it really does change people's minds on things i think i really think that's true and sometimes i forget how important art is and so that was a good reminder for me um being in a you know a festival filled with with movies Uh, but yeah i thought that was really cool um, so yes, that was also Friday night. Um, I had forgotten that that was Friday. I, I thought it was Saturday for some reason, but that was Friday. Uh, I think that brings us to Saturday. Um, so actually, I can go and say, I think we did the first film together, first couple mm-hmm. things together on Saturday. Uh, first, we saw a film called D.D. directed by Sean Wang. Um, what did you think of Dee Dee?
1: I really liked Dee Dee. Um, I felt it was a very unique kind of coming of age story among, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just, it it felt really interesting to me the way it was shot and how it included like video footage, like skateboarding style video mm -hmm. um, of a young kind of adolescent, I guess, uh, boy. Um, Yeah, it was, it was really funny actually. And, but also quite um, moving. And I thought it really explored like, um, intergenerational, um, kind of immigrant, uh, family dynamics really well. And mm-hmm. with also re- a really light touch that was, um, I, yeah, I thought the directing was really good.
0: Yeah. I completely agree with all that. And actually I just saw that, that director Sean Wong, his short film from last year is now Oscar nominated. So that was, it was like, oh. he's having a big week cause son son answered this and the yes. Oscar noms all at once. It's called, um, uh, nine, and something. I think it's about his grandparents. Um, anyway, yeah, I really liked DD as well. I didn't expect it to be such a comedy and really it's kind of like a raunchy comedy, um, which I don't <laughs> know. I just read coming of age story and didn't expect that. Uh, but it was really fun and, uh, moving and, and I, the period piece aspect of it was really fun too, that he's listening to paramore and he's on my space. And it was like, he's, <laughs> I am being, some of those were very familiar. It was like reminding me of, right. Oh my gosh, I forgot. I used to do this in junior high. Um, so yeah, I like I like that film quite a bit. Yeah. Um, from there, we went to the press line for Porcelain War. So this is our first press line, um, and again, I didn't really know what to expect. I've done things similar to this at other festivals, but this obviously was a bigger deal. We're at Sundance, um, but it was for a film called Porcelain War, which you know I hadn't seen it yet. So I, it was also you know learning how to interview someone on a film I haven't seen was a kind of a new experience. Um, we talked to the, the video of this is on YouTube. I'll share the link to that in the show notes. Um, but we talked to the directors, Brendan Belomo and Slava Leontiev, um, as well as several other people that are in the film.
1: Yeah, I, I felt like, um, I think we did two separate interviews because we did one initially with the directors, uh, mm-hmm. the co-directors, and then afterwards with, um, more of I guess the cast or yeah, so the crew and cast.
0: right. yeah, so this film is yeah. interesting that most of the the footage was shot by the subject. so they're kind of filming their right. own lives and it's put together. But yeah. Um, so I was able to see that film. It wasn't until a couple of days later. So the way the press lines work is like the the filmmakers are there and they're about to walk into the premiere, the the world premiere of the film., uh, but there's a few other screenings throughout the week, and so I was able to get to one on Monday. Um, but you're right. It, it's like, it's a very personal story. I didn't realize how personal until I saw it. But yeah, the film opens up saying most of the footage of this film was shot by the subjects. Um, and initially so it's about the war in Ukraine and we see Slava and his wife, Anya, and they have their little dog, Frodo, who was there on the press line too, which was kind of a funny thing. Frodo is a really important part of the movie actually, but they have this kind of idyllic little life and they, they're artists. they, Uh, create these porcelain miniatures that are so intricate and it takes weeks to uh, create one and we're seeing their lives and kind of learning about them and then smash cut to the destruction of the war and so it really holds the you know the beauty of you know the life that they have and the life they want and then the, the war that's we learn you know 10 minutes away uh by car um from where they are and then it's another shocking image when we see Slava who we've, you know, come to know as the sensitive artist. in the first few minutes of the film, we see him holding, you know, a rifle and and wearing military gear. We learn that he sort of trains militia. And so I'm not an expert on the the story of the war, but from what I understand, a lot of the soldiers in Ukraine are kind of militia everyday people that um, have kind of taken up arms because their army's not big enough kind of. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, it uh, is all about the war, and, and there's some incredible footage. There's like a whole battle sequence where we're on the ground in a battle near the end of the film. Um, but it's also about the importance of art, and uh, and and by um, creating what they create and and uh, putting their art into the world, and and also just fighting literally for their way of life. There, it's it's sort of art as resistance, and you know, fighting as resistance. Um, but I think. It was the kind of the best you know art as resistance film like an argument for that being true (laughs) uh, that i've ever seen um and i found it really moving and then there's another family as well who were on the press line and um it's a father and a wife a husband and wife and two daughters the wife and two daughters flee the country and are living away and so in the film it talks with him about what that experience is like and you know he's never going to get this time back with his daughters and um there is a, a moment in this in the film where they're briefly reunited uh for like a weekend and then they were there at sundance so like they're, they were reunited again i was able to do a zoom call uh and talk to the directors again and i asked about you know what happens next and they're going back to ukraine and his family's going back to i think paris is where they are so somewhere that's safer um so it was another just kind of brief reunion wow. for this festival, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but I found the film really, really moving uh, and just incredibly well-made. The editing of everything very well done. So, I mean, hearing that at the at the beginning that the film was shot by the subjects, I was expecting a lot of like shaky cam mm-hmm. iPhone footage, but no, it looks gorgeous. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just really, really impressed with it. Ended up being the favorite thing that I saw at the whole festival. That's and amazing. I, uh, and it also ended up winning. So like the two top prizes are for narrative and documentary and it won the documentary prize.
1: Right. I saw that. I was like very excited to see if yeah. they they had won.
0: So it's always nice when it's like, I yeah. think this is really good. and other people do too. So yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I, uh, awesome. Great. So that was Saturday lunchtime that we did the press line. I, just, I saw the film on Monday, but um, mm-hmm. from there, what did you do on Saturday after that?
1: Saturday, I went and saw. Uh, I believe the New World Cinema. The directors discussed gender uh, equity um, mm-hmm. through a global lens. Another panel um, that uh, was moderated by Andrea Wilson Mirza, and it contained. Uh, I had four panelists, all who had films in the um, in the Sundance Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw two of the films, um, and we'll get to those, I guess, a little bit later. But uh, the panel was really, really good. Um, yeah, it was, it was discussing the ways in which um, um, gender is really, really important in the way in organizing and um, creating a space where everyone feels like included in the process of filmmaking, hmm. where there there are opportunities for women and non-binary individuals to have access to the tools and um, courses or classes necessary to hmm. become proficient in like a certain skill or um, in filmmaking and have the opportunity to go to film school even. Um, they discussed also uh, the panel um, sexuality in film among uh, queer or non-binary or um, different uh, sexualities that have been marginalized historically and mm-hmm. showing them and representing them in ways um, through experience from individuals who've actually, uh, who who identify in those ways mm-hmm. and not from maybe um, a strictly, you know, historically, I would say like a... Um, um, you know, a male-centric kind of gaze. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. heterose- heterosexual male gaze. So, yeah, I thought that was really, a really good panel. And um, it, it was actually lasted quite a while. So, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I got to meet, I was able to meet the directors, Claudio Reneki and Raha uh, Amir Fazali, um, who directed, uh, Raha uh, directed In the Land of Brothers, and Claudia directed Renas, and, um, which both were excellent films that um, I think we'll talk about a little later. So, yeah, that was a really good panel. Yeah.
0: Nice. That's great. Yeah, I remember seeing, I think it was a quote from the sexuality panel. I don't know if it was on social media or, or what, but it was it was about that, like, um, you know, having straight male gaze behind the camera has kind of resulted in a fetishizing or like a, a, a an experience that isn't um maybe accurate to a lot of people's actual experience a lot of queer people's actual experience so I thought that was an interesting way you know when we're thinking about why is it important to have the representation behind the camera it's like a really concrete way a concrete reason mm-hmm. why I thought that was interesting yeah definitely. Uh, let's see did you see or do anything else festival related for the rest of saturday
1: did we when did we see alma gloria is that the that same was day? yeah that
0: was saturday night so yeah let me do my afternoon stuff and then we'll talk about that one okay. um So after the press line, I went and saw a film called The Outrun, which was another highlight directed by Nora Fingscheidt, and stars Saoirse Ronan. It's also based on a memoir by Amy Liptrot. And so this film follows Saoirse Ronan. She lives in the Orkney Islands, which are some islands off the coast of Scotland, and uh, she's struggling with alcoholism. So, you know, later in the film, she's going to AA meetings, but she had, you know, living in a very self destructive manner, kind of uh, dealing with relationships, and, and she ends up kind of isolating herself. Um, really incredible performance from Saoirse Ronan. Like, there are moments when she's kind of being bigger and, like, and she's, you know, acting a fool, drunk, and that sort of thing. Uh, but then there's also a lot of quiet moments that, um, yeah, I just find it really moving. Um, it, the gorgeous landscape of, of the Orkney Islands and of Ireland and of London too, where she spent some time. Um, yeah, this was definitely a highlight. And this, this feels like an awards contender that uh, I wouldn't be surprised later in the year, uh, if it is getting more, more attention and that sort of thing. Um, one cool thing about this is at, there's after parties that we attended and at one of them, I met this guy named Sean, who's from Liverpool. I have been to Liverpool, it's been a semester there. Uh, so we were talking about that, and he said, "I'm here because uh, my friend Amy wrote the book for the Outrun." like, oh, he knows the, the the person who wrote the memoir, and then we ended up bumping into them in the street the next day, and I, so I got to meet Amy uh, Liptron and just said, "Hey, I love the film," you know, uh, really brief meeting, but it's kind of cool. Like the people who made it are there, so that that's a fun thing about festivals.
1: Yeah, that that was that was really cool. I. I kept running into Sean actually oh, really? yeah, throughout the festival. <laughs> yeah, like randomly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Um, and then I saw one other thing before Emma Gloria, which is a movie called Handling the Undead. It's directed by Thea uh, Fistendahl and it stars Renata Reinsva and Anders Danielson and Lee. Both actors I really love. And they're actually, they're both in um, The Worst Person in the World of, a couple years ago and uh, fantastic. I don't think they share any screen time in this actually. I was realizing uh, very different movie but this so this is a, a zombie movie um it's it's already been picked up by neon so it'll be distributed and it'll probably hit theaters at some point um but it uh it's, so the it's kind of a unique setup the people who have recently deceased come back to life um and they are not acting quite right they're not talking they're breathing slow you know they're zombies <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some of the what's interesting about the film is that we don't know exactly Are they bloodthirsty? Like we we don't know what's going on, Um, but their their loved ones are are trying to care for them. Basically, there's an old uh, so so Renata us child has passed away, and comes back, and then um, Anders Danielson Lee's wife he's like he's got a wife and a child wife dies in an accident and then comes back and then there's an older uh, lesbian couple and one of them has recently passed and comes back and so it's it's really about the emotions that that they're feeling um this was kind of a miss for me honestly i didn't connect with it as much you know i like a slow burn horror this one burns very slowly like it was yeah. it was really gradual and i you know i think slow burn works well when it's like you're building the tension of what's going to happen but the tension wasn't quite there it would it just kind of grounded to a halt a few times for me all i to say i really respected it and i think a lot of people would really like it um, it just wasn't quite for me but um yeah that was handling the undead and then you and i went and saw amagloria i'll let you take the lead on this one how about that uh
1: yes i really enjoyed this film um it was it was amazing directed by Mari amochukli and um it was yeah, fantastic. I think you you may have the cast, Andrew. Um, yes, yes.
0: So the two stars yeah. are um, Ilcha Moreno and Luis Maroy-Panzani.
1: Yeah, I, I. this is a film that is about a young girl who um, has a father who is watching after her in Paris. Um, he has employed, I believe, um, a woman from the Ivory Coast. Is that correct?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cape Verde. Okay, yes. I it was where Cape, oh,
1: yeah. Cape, Cape Verde. Um and yes, it's um, to, to watch after the, the little girl and they have a very close bond. Um, they do almost everything together and the young girl is just completely enamored, I think, by by uh, yeah. her, her caretaker. Um, and yeah, it's th- that experience of navigating through um, that relationship. Uh, at, I don't know how much you want to get into the film andrew or
0: yeah we can just say that um so we realized pretty quickly and so single father that this nanny character has is, is really important to um uh, little girl cleo and we she ends up visiting uh cape verde with her um right. and and so there's a lot of you know relationship thing it's coming of age story for her and, and you know this trip to africa is, is a really important you know for her own development. And yeah, I, I, I thought both the performances were really good. I mean, all the performances, but especially those two central ones, really good child performance. Um, and yeah, I found it really moving and and I hope this one gets an audience because yeah. uh, I think a lot of people would really like it. Yeah, I, I think the relationship
1: between um, the woman who's taking care of Koi and bringing her to, allowing her to come to Africa with her and just, the relationship that she, cause she has been away from her, um, her biological children mm-hmm. for some time. And there is a bit of resentment uh, with the yeah. children r- related to the young um, uh So it's interesting to see how that that dynamic works and sort of the shame maybe, or guilt or feelings of maybe I should have been here more. What's my responsibility to my family? What is family? I think mm-hmm. those questions come up quite a bit. And I find that really interesting and also just the economic reality she was facing, um, mm-hmm. trying to earn enough money to send back in, in, earn enough money in Paris to send back to her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then while in Cape Verde, she's, she's trying to, I think, open up a business of her own and yeah. the difficulties of that. Um, I thought it was fantastic and there. There um, there's animation throughout the film here and yeah, there. I forgot that. Interspersed. Yeah. So um, that's really beautiful. Um, I think that was one of my favorite films, and very heartwarming, but really well executed. And i I read and um where the young uh, Chloe was not and had never acted before. And um the director, Marie, had asked uh, an assistant of hers to to go find her. Don't go to any, like, casting agencies just Mm. go find a girl and within 15 minutes she was back it's like hey i found someone she's like this is (laughs) impossible but actually it was true that was her wow (laughs) that it was her so it's kind of um, beautiful so
0: that's amazing yeah that's really cool yeah i forgot that animation it's it's several animated sequences that were really really breathtaking and that was you know one of the things about seeing on the big screen i always love animation on on the Mm. big screen um cool and so i think that brings us to a close on saturday Um, and then on Sunday, we, the first thing we did was a press line for, uh, the battle for Lykepia, which, um, this is another one that I ended up getting to see. I don't know if you did, uh, but it's directed by Daphne Mataraki and Peter Murimi. And it's a complicated film. Uh, First, we can talk about the press line, I guess, but it was in the Egyptian theater, which was kind of cool. Actually, I just, I always like old theaters. And so there's a few venues that, you know, that, uh, Sundance takes place at and the Egyptian theater is, kind of an older theater it's in on main street. So it's kind of in the, the cute downtown area. Um, and so we were like on the top floor of that. So I just got a kick out of just being in there. Um, but then we talked to the two directors and then several of the the producers and people were there as well, uh, just for kind of the photos. But, um, I thought the interview went really well, uh, with them and, and it was, I had one already under my belt. So I was, (laughs) I think I was a little more confident and um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully ask your questions. That one's also up on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. So I'll link to those. You can check it out. Um, I can speak to the film because I did see it again the next day. And it is it's a very complicated situation. But they did a good job of bringing this all into the film. Uh, but basically, uh, it's uh, like is an area in Kenya. And four generations ago, I'm not sure how many years that is. But uh, so it's been quite a while. But not as long as the indigenous people that have been there forever. Um, the British colonialism, uh, colonials came and, and it's, this is one thing I, I do want more information about is like how exactly the British came to have this land. It's uh, it sort of implied that it, there was trickery going on uh, as was common, I think at this time. That um, So the, basically some of the best land in this area, like Kipia is now owned by the British. There's these families that live there they're not british citizens they're kenyan uh they're white kenyans which is so interesting and and then the film talks about like this is all they've known they they don't want to go back to england back they've never been to england like they this is their home this is their farm um they have some of the best land of the country the indigenous people there are uh cattle farmers and cattle is like their whole life like i don't know if they worship the cattle but like it's it's like not just their main um you know sort of crop is not the right word not just their like economic livelihood but like part of their culture they they gift cows for weddings and births and that sort of thing like cattle are incredibly important um and so what comes to a head in this film is like the perfect storm of this colonialist situation has always been a bit awkward Uh, now there's droughts happening because of climate change and the cattle are dying uh and so they're we see in the film, like we're trying to sneak onto the British land and, and have some water so that our livelihood can survive. Um, but the 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 white Kenyans are uh, not pleased with that and, and legally have a right to press charges and all that sort of thing. Uh, and there's also an election happening. And we have some of the people running for office saying like, we're going to change the situation. So all this is kind of coming to a head at once. Um, but it's incredibly moving and and just some shocking things where these these white kenyans who are uh sometimes some of them not all of them some of them are just like casually you know unknowingly being very racist like and don't understand the privilege that they hold um have never put themselves in the shoes of these indigenous people and so what the documentary does really well is it really shows both sides um and it like we're going into the homes of of uh the indigenous people which are you know huts and um there's there ends up being funerals uh on both sides and we see the the vast disparity of like what does a funeral look like in these two cultures um and they talked in the q a after the screening i saw that they showed the film to uh, some of the subjects of the film and the white kenyans were saying we've never seen inside the home of of one of these indigenous people and so it's uh just showing the differences and um, how stark that is in uh, a, a situation that sometimes feels hopeless, um, but getting to maybe some kind of answers, but really breaking down a really significant situation in a way that was really interesting and really moving. So I talked more than I meant to about that, but it's it's a complicated film, but they do a really good job of, of bringing that all together and uh, showing both sides of it really well. Yeah. Awesome. So that was the battle for Lekepia. Uh Did you have any other thoughts on the press line? Uh, I thought it went pretty well.
1: Yeah, I thought it went very well. Um, there was a lighting issue that was uh, oh, actually yeah. to do with not, not us at all, but the, just the Egyptian, I guess, had yeah. had some issues with some of the uh, lighting that was set up. That just happened for like a minute, and then it went back to good lighting. But overall, yeah. I thought the I thought the co-directors were, um, Daphne and, and Pete, were really, yes. um, really gracious with their time and also Mm -hmm. very open in their in their communication with you and um it was their first time there and uh, as it was ours so um i thought it went really well um and like you said you had one under your belt so um it felt really good (laughs)
0: like i kind of knew what i was doing um (laughs) right an interesting thing about that too is that so daphne is from greece and then peter is from kenya um and so they, they talked about a little bit about the different perspectives they brought to it um and then one of the main producers is also Kenyan. She actually won an award. Uh, I can't remember her name's Tony something. Uh, I can look it up in just a moment, but she won a producer's award uh, from Sundance. I thought that was kind of cool. And she was in the Q and A after the screening I saw, and she talked a little bit about um, having so many different perspectives behind the camera on the filmmaking team. If some people were Kenyan and, and um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Um, yeah, that was that was another highlight for me for sure. Um, what else did you do on Sunday?
1: On Sunday, mm, I don't know what else I did, Andrew. Actually, <laughs> did you see? Uh, when did you see?
0: Uh, when was the AI panel? Was that Monday?
1: The AI panel was Monday. Okay. I did a lot on Monday. Okay. so <laughs> okay. yeah. I didn't
0: do much on Monday, so we'll leave that for okay. you. Okay, yeah. I saw one other film on Sunday, which is a film called Exhibiting Forgiveness, directed by Titus Kafar and stars Andre Holland, Andra Day, John Earl Jelks, and Anjanew Ellis Taylor. So some pretty big names in this one. Um, this is a film, I, I really like Andre Holland. I think I first saw him in Moonlight, and then If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, and he's fantastic in this as well. This is like a really a good role for him. Um there's so many things about this movie that I really like. There I also have a few complaints about it. But um I want to also first say that so he I'll tell you the story first. He he's an artist. Um he's making these gorgeous paintings. I found out in the in the credits that the director of the film actually painted them. So he's like a visual artist as Titus Gafar and they're incredible looking paintings. Um, And he's sort of dealing with his childhood trauma. In in this work, and then his estranged father comes back into his life, and um, as you can imagine, it's very dramatic. Um, and his mother's role in all of it is really interesting as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it it breaks all that down. So I guess the the qualifier I want to put at the beginning of this is this film directly comments on. Um, white audiences commenting on black art and how how problematic it can be so i want to give that grain of salt for myself as a white (laughs) critic Uh, but i i can tell you my experience with it was overall i really liked it again incredible performances i think the script was really good Um, it does get a bit heavy-handed i felt Um, there's some of the scenes where we see the traumatic experiences like we have flashback sequences and they're very hard to watch. It reminded me of the movie Precious, to give you an idea. Mm. It's just a few scenes like that. Uh, but it, I, I came away with feeling like, you know, Andre Holland is such a good performer. We could have heard him verbally telling what happened or something. And it, it wouldn't have been quite so heavy. But um, ultimately, I did really like it again. And and in the end, it it also it hashes things out continually m- more than I expected and more than maybe felt realistic. I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, but again, ultimately I really liked it. And I think it's, it's one that uh, a lot of people really will connect with. Um, yeah. So that was exhibiting forgiveness. Uh, oh, and there's also um, just to, to kind of give a, an idea. Like, so sometimes like a musical interlude in a film, I, it's off putting to me and it feels kind of cheesy or something. There is a, a musical interlude here, but I loved it. And it's Andrea day. She plays a singer. In the film, so it's like an artist and a singer are married, and actually their marriage is interesting, like their uh, marriage of artists. Um, but she, we see her like kind of working on this song, and he's giving feedback, and then we hear the whole the full version, and this song really made me cry. Like the lyrics <laughs> are really, really well done, and uh, it, it's kind of about you know dealing with trauma, and, and uh, yeah, I thought it was really, really good. So, yes, mixed feelings overall in the film, but mostly really positive on it. So that was exhibiting right. forgiveness. Uh, And that brings us to Monday. I've already talked about the two things I did Monday, Porcelain War Mm -hmm. and the Battle for Laquipia were the films I saw that day. I did go to a different part of town up in Snyderville. There's a a cinema up there. So it was always cool to see a different venue. Um, So there's like shuttles running around. This was like 10 minutes north on a bus. Um, But yeah, so I think that's basically all I did Monday. Uh, Oh, one more thing about Porcelain War briefly that I didn't mention before. You mentioned animation. There's these really cool animated sequences in the film too. Where so they have these porcelain uh, pieces that they're creating. There's a couple sequences where we have a close up on like a, a teacup or like a little piece of porcelain that has like intricate paintings on it. And then the paintings come to life. And we have these animated sequences where it's telling the story of when they had to leave their home in Crimea through the images on the cup. And like it's really, really cool. There's a few things like that. And I talked to them about that on when I got to talk to them again on Zoom and how that came together. So another it's highlight of Porcelain of War. So, yeah. yeah. All right. I think that's uh, basically all I did for Monday. So let's hear about your Monday. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, I went into the uh, talk, the big conversation, big conversation screen of consciousness mm. in which um, uh, Dr. Heather Berlin is um, with the panel and she is actually with the um, directors, Andy and Sam Zikuro, um, mm. who directed Love Me. And that was, uh, I think, quite a large film at um, Sundance. Um, Also Alex Rivera, the director of Sleep Dealer and um, was also on the panel. And then Martin Monte, uh, professor um, in the Department of Psychology uh, at UCLA. And then Monica Lopez, it's a co-founder and CEO of Cognitive Insights for Artificial Intelligence. Was also on the panel and this was a really interesting panel um that was discussing the role of ai in cinema and the role of like um new technologies uh data-driven technologies in the cinema um love me um which i haven't seen uh but i would like to um sam and andy spoke about it um, where a buoy and a satellite sort of fall in love in a way and um they use, um, I believe some AI technology, um, in like the brainstorming or the processing of kind of getting things going, um, which is quite interesting. Uh, yeah. it seems like the filmmakers had, had an openness to the use of AI and the potential of it, but then also obviously there are concerns with like, Hey, is this going to actually take jobs, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which we yeah. understand with the, uh, yeah, um kind of what's been going on the last year in Uh Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So the conversations with the scientists um, and the researchers was interesting about the use of um, AI technology in general. Um, It seems to be that we're using it, or it can be used, at least in the arts, as a filter, as a lens to see ourselves more than understanding what AI is. It kind of like Mm -hmm. reflects back what we are And obviously there are the general concerns that have been present for a long time with like prejudice and bias in like large language models and any Mm -hmm. type of AI technology we're using now where it's kind of feeding back to us our own um, sort of ill-conceived ideas and thoughts about the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But I thought that was a really very, very interesting panel. And I'm glad it was present because more and more films are assisted with – VR or AR technology, AI technology, there, there are films that are made with, um, ever sophisticated, you know, technology that, that's, that's being invented. And in a way, I think it does allow us, if used in the proper way to see ourselves and to see ourselves more clearly. Mm -hmm. Um, but using it as like a replacement to human ingenuity and creativity, um, there are, there there can be problems with that sort of approach. So Yeah, it was a very good uh, panel, and uh, it was actually supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, um, and I thought that was interesting as well. Sloan does, um, I think, things as well in sports, like sports analytics, so they're really involved in, like, merging science and technology with like other fields in the arts mm-hmm. or humanities or entertainment. So, yeah, that's
0: interesting. And of a it's used to have a whole called the new frontiers thing where it was, it was like a whole VR section that you could even do from home. And I, I tried to tune in, I do not have a VR headset, but you could do some of it on the computer in previous years. I think they've kind of done less of that, but I, I like that they're always kind of talking about the, the cutting edge things and AI is such a hot, hot topic these days, but yeah, yeah, that's cool.
1: Um, and then uh, I saw I saw three films, uh, two of my favorite films. Uh, I saw on Monday, um, In the Land of Brothers, uh, the, the, which was incredible, and uh, Reynas, which I mentioned both earlier. Um, and then I saw Eternal You. I guess I'll uh, start with Eternal You. Um, Eternal You is a documentary by Hans Bloch um, and also Hans Bloch and uh, Moritz Rizovic, this is a documentary documentary which kind of dovetails a bit with um, what was going on in the AI panel, um, Mm -hmm. where people who have passed away, um, their family members can um, use certain services to sort of animate and create an avatar of their dead loved one, and then um, interact with it on some sort of like uh, software application basis. And for some of gives me the in, creeps. Sorry, go ahead. Right, no, it was it was <laughs> incredibly strange. Actually, uh, the documentary uh, was itself interesting, but it was exploring this sort of what seemed to be like a dark underbelly of like the mm. new tech world. Um, and it actually was able to interview uh, several um, companies or founders of companies who provide these services, and it interviews users. Uh, there were users who um, really were, you know, quite sad about a a loved one, a partner had recently passed away and they're wanting to just reach out in some way. And they're like, I know this is, you know, an application, this isn't my dead loved one, but I would like to try to interact with it. And so Mm -hmm. some companies use the text, the voice recognition, the, um, any video or any like text or any photographs that you have of, um, your, your, your dead loved one, you provide to a company, and then they create uh, via um, AI technology um, a semblance of that person, and you have um, you're able to chat with them. And there's actually a company in South Korea that this documentary explores, which actually creates a, a virtual reality uh, of, mm-hmm. of your loved one. Wow. That you um, and there was a TV show. There was a lot of backlash in South Korea to this. A lot of people were like, "This is disturbing or disgusting," mm-hmm. and others said, "Well, no, this is." you know, we all grieve in our own ways. And others were like, well, this isn't grieving. And there was a big <laughs> dispute about it all. But a woman had lost her, her young daughter and um, provided all this information to this company and then was able to, like, see her daughter in, like, a, a virtual reality. And it was quite um, strange because the, the it was a TV show. There, like, some people, a company was profiting off mm. of, like, showing this. And it was... Yeah it was, it it got quite strange. So the documentary overall, um, I thought the content and the sort of what they were trying to get at was interesting. I thought maybe the execution wasn't the best, but overall it was, um, was sort of like an insight into what uh, companies and people are trying to do with this new technology, uh, AI technology for, you know, maybe um, maybe in in ways that aren't best for like people. So yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting, capitalism ruining things as usual. <laughs> it Seems like <laughs> right. Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Um, did you have something else that you did on Monday? No, I was basically Ooh, was yet, that about uh, it. Okay. Yeah, that was all I, I had on Monday. And I, I guess I'll speak to the last two films I saw, and that kind of I think will be will be it for me. Um, did you get a chance to see either of them, Andrew? I didn't. Reynos? Sorry. The, okay. No, I didn't. Yeah, so I saw um, *Reinas*, which was a very good film, um, set in Peru um, during, I believe, the nineteen, uh, I believe the ni- early nineteen nineties or late nineteen eighties, during a time where there was a lot of governmental um, concerns and economic concerns in Peru. Um, the film was centered around a mother who had uh, separated from. Um, Uh, her husband, but she has two girls, one who's a teenager, one who is, um, you know, maybe eight to 10. And um, she wants to, she wants to obtain um, a signature from their father, who's still alive, just kind of separated from them, um, so that they can leave the country because she's procuring um, passports and Mm -hmm. visas to leave Peru at this time. I think it's a really Lovely film, it's really well shot. The color palette is, that is used is really beautiful. I don't know, I can't remember if it's shot on, um, like what it's shot on, if it's film or digital, but it looks like film. Um, but it's it's a very beautiful film. It's, quite, it's actually some very funny moments are in it. The dad beca- gets back into the picture and he realizes, hey, I want to be a father. I kind of am like upset at myself that I've shirked my responsibilities Mm. and my daughters are amazing. So let me, let me kind of be involved. And of course the mother is like, I don't want you really around my daughters in this way. I just want your signature. Can we get this over with and you get out of our lives? Mm. And it's sort of like um, navigating and exploring that relationship of the man wanting to be close to his daughters and his daughters being skeptical of him but then also learning to like see him and enjoy his company. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was a, a quite a good film. And then the last film, uh, In the Land of Brothers, was probably my favorite film that I saw at Sundance. And it's an Iranian film um, that I, I just really, really enjoyed. Uh, again, by Raha Amr Fasali and Alariza Gassemi. And this was a film about Afghan refugees who, while in Iran, often can't work uh, or at this time could not work very professional jobs uh, without like, I don't know, uh, going through the process of you know, getting their license and credentials. They couldn't bring them over seamlessly from Afghanistan to Iran mm-hmm. and use the license they have there. Um, and it explores in three chapters uh, the lives of these Afghan refugees, uh, Afghani refugees, um, that is can be quite brutal at times and but also the resilience and the solidarity they have together uh Mm -hmm. over time is is really lovely to see and the the three main actors are non-professionals and they are afghani Mm -hmm. um and the director ra said she they had great difficulty in filming some of this and the other director the co-director elireza he was unable to attend Sundance because he was unable to get the visa to leave Iran mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. actually attend the world premiere. Um, but the filming was really difficult in that certain areas, um, Afghani, uh, Afghani people are not allowed to be. And mm-hmm. they had to like work around uh, the governmental kind of um, restrictions and censors to wow. make the film happen. Um, I think Raha studied at NYU and was living lives in New York, so she-, she had an easier time navigating being at Sundance. Um, but I thought it was a very powerful film and the acting was amazing for non-professionals. I was very surprised. Um, one man is uh, middle-aged. Uh, another man is like a young man, probably in his early 20s. And uh, the woman in the film, the main one of the main characters is also in her 20s, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would add one th- more thing that seeing the the Iranian families um, withholding a lot, so not th- there was a common theme that they didn't want to place a burden on their on their family members, so they would withhold bad news that they thought was mm-hmm. bad news, of course, from the government or from other people in society. They wouldn't let their mother or father or children know when they received really horrible news. Mm-hmm. And it felt like they were swallowing a lot of pain and but they just didn't want to burden others so that was a really interesting thing to see and i think it was conveyed very well the script was really well done the dialogue is not overly present like too present Hmm. i think it's it's like a lot of you know show don't tell is, is really present in the film and um yeah the cinematography was incredible um yeah and i hope it does well going forward um uh in the festival circuit because i i I, because i really enjoyed that one
0: so yeah that's one that's top of my list to to catch hopefully before too long but uh yeah i think that kind of brings us to the end of our you know sundance events that we attended uh over the weekend um I do, I guess I guess we can phrase this question to encompass everything, but looking back at the whole weekend, did you have a favorite experience whether that was a film or something else? And did you want to mention any of the other things that, that we did? I, I might mention an after party. Yeah,
1: I really enjoyed the after parties that we went to where yeah. we got
0: to meet uh, mm-hmm. other
1: um, people in the press or filmmakers, uh, actors. It was It was just really cool to go to the other events as well as, yeah. as attending the films the press lines and the events, uh, the talks, it was, it was a great atmosphere overall. And I, yeah, I just really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think um, we ended up at the South Asia Lodge a couple of nights, and they had really good DJs and stuff. But Yeah, you're meeting so many people. And um, I was handing out lots of business cards and and just meeting a lot of filmmakers and stuff, that hopefully some of those will, you know, be on the podcast down the road, that sort of thing. Um, So yeah, that was great. Uh, you and I shared a wonderful curry for lunch one day. That was really good. That was honestly yes. really delicious. And I keep thinking about it. Uh, but yeah, it was just a great experience overall. And uh, really liked most of the films I saw. And uh, I think, again, Porcelain War was probably my, my highlight. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I also, it's such a learning experience that I feel like, you know, if I'm able to go back next year, which I hope to do, I'll really have a much better idea of (laughs) what i'm doing and uh, but i think it was great i think we did a good job with our interviews and um yeah so thank you for for being there helping out with everything and and uh i thought it was a great experience
1: Yeah. yeah well thank you andrew for bringing me on board and yeah i thought you did an excellent job with your coverage um of the festival and the ways that people were interacting with you i think confirmed that so well, thanks. Did a really good yeah. job.
0: I meant to say, like, I think my favorite, favorite thing of the whole thing was doing those interviews. Like, I I mm-hmm. always just enjoy, you know, questioning artists about things. So that was that was great. But, well, cool. Well, thanks so much for again for going and for doing the podcast, uh, talking through everything. Um, you know, there's, you know, if you look at a list of all the biggest films at Sundance, some of the ones like we've missed a lot. Obviously, like you can't see everything. Um, so i know there's so many other things and other films that uh i hope to catch that will be available down the road but um i really love the experience that i had in the films that i saw and, and uh i thought it was fantastic so yeah i guess we'll say farewell for now until next time we'll have to have you back soon and uh thanks again for your time thanks andrew Thanks so much to Andrew, not only for coming on the show, but for helping me out on the ground at Sundance. It was a great experience, and his presence was really a huge part of why. Before we go, I've got a little note about the show. You may have noticed that my podcast output has been a little lower lately. Life has just been really busy. And being at Sundance had me kind of reflecting on the podcast as a whole and thinking about the episodes I'm proudest of. The best episodes of this podcast, I think, are times when I can interview a filmmaker directly and dig into the creative process or discuss a film with someone who has a unique perspective. I'm saying all that to say, I'm going to shift my focus a little bit. Instead of trying to get an episode out every two weeks like clockwork, even if those episodes are sometimes a little bit rushed, I'm going to take my time and make sure I'm putting all my attention into every show. That means the output will likely be a little less frequent than every two weeks, at least for a while, but I'm excited to make exactly the show I want to and try to have lots of interesting guests. So, what's coming next on the podcast a few things are in the pipeline we've got an interview with the team behind porcelain war that we discussed on this episode that i'll share out soon down the road i've got some interviews with some filmmakers planned one for a film called big boys that i've spoken about on the podcast before and another for a documentary called break the game that i'm excited to dig into i also want to get back to my aronofsky series after way too long of a hiatus I'm very excited about all of those shows, so stay tuned to your podcast feed and your social media for updates. And until next time, thank you so much for listening to Arthouse Garage. We have a few years' worth of episodes now. You can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Arthouse Garage, become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage or find a link in the show notes. You can also buy an Arthouse Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop. If you wanna support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app, and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter. That's at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe, or you can email me directly, andrew at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage and all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free.